Momentum Volleyball is the online Canadian hub for volleyball storytelling, reporting, and event coverage, allowing content creators to connect with fans, coaches, and players. Momentum is the hub for athletes, coaches, and fans to find free and paid volleyball content, and we are proud to be the voice of Canadian volleyball around the world. Head to MomentumVolleyball.ca to subscribe for free and get access to exclusive content and all your Canadian volleyball updates. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. He's accomplished a lot in his young career, and he's still going. So today's guest played club for Fraser Valley and Apex Volleyball Club. He's been a member of Team BC for a lot of years, including representing them at Canada Games. He's been a part of our Team Canada national team, both at the junior national team and next-gen level, and he's already a national champion with UBC and still finishing up his eligibility there. Please welcome to the show, Colton Liu. Colton, thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So trying to do some research for the show, it's interesting. You grew up in that Vancouver area. So what can you tell me just how did you get into volleyball? And then what can you say just about Apex and Fraser Valley? Because I think our listeners would have heard of both of those clubs in the Vancouver area. Yeah. So, um, yeah, growing up, my mom and sister both played volleyball. Funny enough, I actually wasn't very into volleyball because I felt like I was always around it like with my mom and, and sister. And um, I really liked soccer and other sports. But then I got into a couple of camps that my sister talked about and my mom talked about. And so I did that. And then in grade seven, um, I tried out for Apex kind of reluctantly. I ended up really enjoying it. Um, Still, volleyball wasn't really my main sport at that time. So I played Apex from grade seven to grade 11. I played played up a year since... I started on the U14 team in grade seven. So that's yeah, one year up. And then I just stuck with that team throughout until they graduated. And then that's when I switched to Fraser Valley is when my Apex team aged out. Oh, nice. Yeah, I think that's pretty common with the guys who play up their whole career is you kind of have that weird leftover year at 18 U. Uh, I'm curious, when did it spark for you? Like, it was, was when your skills got good enough? It was when the players around you got good enough? Like, what got you hooked on volleyball? Because I think it's super fun when your skills there and you can do the athletic stuff but when you're first starting man it can be a little frustrating if you're not very good or if the guys around you aren't very good right yeah so i was really small when i first started and like just not very good (laughs) i was i was pretty fast and relatively athletic um just because of my sporting history but yeah when i first started i was 411 under 100 pounds like I think I, I was a I was a setter slash defensive specialist and that kind of you know it's not really <laughs> anything <laughs> but um, as like a setter back when I wasn't even like strong enough to push out to the outside and uh, luckily enough I had a really good coach Ken Lee who just kind of allowed me to keep playing with the older guys and much bigger guys and allowed me to develop my overall skills um, so yeah it was definitely pretty difficult starting out because I wasn't the best. Well, yeah, it's 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 tough when you're like new to a sport and you don't really know that much. But I guess I had a pretty good supporting cast. Um, and before Apex 2, like with my, my mom playing, she uh, told me that like to, to try to make my worst skill my best. So that's kind of a mentality that I went to. Like when I first started, I was so bad at passing like i would hate passing so much and then my mom was like hey make it your best skill then so then that's what i tried to do and then eventually things kind of rounded out and i started to get better and then kind of back to your original point the spark um i'd say probably in grade nine was my first year with team bc and that's kind of what really sparked things for me because again soccer was my main sport up until i think grade 10 but grade the summer Going into grade 10, yeah, I, I was U15. I played on the U17 TBC team. And so that was a lot of fun for me. And I got exposed to good coaches like uh, Colin Carson and Ben Ball. And yeah, I just really enjoyed the guys. and enjoyed the next level provincial team stuff. Yeah, for sure. For our, our listeners who aren't familiar with the BC model, uh, can you just quickly go over like when your entry point was? So you mentioned grade 9, and I think they have like a bot and cop, and then they have stuff where... I imagine with your U17 team, you probably went to National Team Challenge Cup. Like, how young can you play Team BC, and how did you kind of go through the pathway? Yeah, so I, so there's Blood and Cup. Blood and Cup is kind of like a, 
it's not really Team BC, but it is like a camp that's kind of leads up to Team BC in a way. Um, so I played that in grade seven. It's just basically players in BC just get together and go to like a week long camp and get coached by players and, and coaches and whatnot. And so I did that in grade seven. I don't think I did it in grade eight because I remember grade eight was like a big beach year for me. And then um, in grade nine, so the so when I was in grade nine, the model has changed a little bit to what it was to what I was like in grade twelve. But in grade nine, um, they had like zone tryouts, and so I was in the like Vancouver zone. So everyone from like Vancouver, I think it was like Greater Vancouver, all tried it in one area, and then like the Okanagan would be in one spot, and so on. And then they'd select guys from that one, uh, from from like each zone, and then brought you to what was then called Bottom Cup. So it's a little confusing because they were both called Bottom Cup. But the, the actual Team BC Bottom Cup was in Kamloops. And so that was like another week-long training with like a, a tournament at the end. And then from that Bottom Cup, they would select two Team BC teams to represent BC at... Um, it wasn't called NTCC back then. It was, it was like Western Elites, I think. So yeah, they chose a team from there um, to represent BC, and so yeah, that, that program is like a U16, 17, but more U17 team. And then um, I was U15 when I first joined, and so technically you can be like as young as you want, but there is like programs for the younger age group. I was lucky enough to be able to play up for. Nice. And when you remember back, when did you make the switch from being uh, kind of an undersized setter to being like a bigger outside? Like when did you hit your growth spurt and when did you start playing outside? Uh, yeah. So again, I was really short in grade seven. And then I think grade eight, I was still pretty small, like five, four, five, five. And then in grade eight, I like hurt my thumb pretty bad setting or blocking or something. And I just like couldn't set the ball. And so what I could do though is I could just like tape my whole hand and then just club balls. <laughs> and because I was like a little taller now, still kind of athletic, like I was able to play left side a bit. And then again, I wasn't that good. <laughs> but that kind of started my transition to playing left side and kind of like both positions, I guess. And then I guess I kept growing. Grade nine, I hit six feet. And then, yeah, I just was fully left side. Actually, though, in grade 11, I wasn't 100% sure I was going to play offside. I, I thought I might have set for a bit. But yeah, since since grade 9, I've been offside because, like I said before, I really worked on my passing. So like passing was a big focal point for me. So that's pretty important for a offside. And then, yeah, I think I was just a better offside than a setter eventually. Nice. So as you're kind of climbing the pathway, like you said, you're playing for a good club. You're playing some beach. You're playing Team BC. When did post-secondary kind of enter your mind? Like, were you at, at any point, maybe grade 10 or 11, talking to coaches? Or did you wait till grade 12 to kind of make your decision what you wanted to do with post-secondary? Yeah, so it's a little complicated. When I was when I was younger, um, I don't know if we'll touch it up, but I was injured. Um, and so I wasn't 100% sure if university would be, would be in the equation. I was kind of just doing volleyball for fun and doing sports for fun. Um, and in, yeah, again, in grade nine, I started to get better. And I think it was grade nine, like maybe at the end of grade nine, maybe start of grade 10. No, I think it was grade nine that I started to get noticed a little bit more by like some university coaches. But again, I wasn't really thinking that far ahead at all. I was kind of just, oh yeah, they're, they're talking to me. That's, that's cool. I didn't really put any other thought into it other than like trying to, I don't know, win a provincial championship. You know what I mean? And then I think grade 11 is when I started to think more about it. Like, I think, again, grade 9, going into grade 10, I was like, hey, maybe this is actually an option. But the grade 9 is when I was like, okay, I'm going to go to university for sure. Um, now it's just a matter of time. And then I committed in grade 12. So Nice. And who else was on your radar? Because I think there's there's tons of good college universities in BC. Did you ever consider leaving the province? Uh, did it come down to UBC and another school? Like what went into your decision when you finally decided where you wanted to go? Uh, <laughs> there, there was, I would say there's quite a few universities. Like I don't want to like, to my own horn, but there, <laughs> there, yeah, there was quite a few schools that I had the option of going. 
it, it came down to just a few small factors. Um, but ultimately, I guess UBC was the spot for me. But again, like I, I think a lot of people kind of assumed that UBC was like the place that I was always going to go because I'm a Vancouver kid and stuff. But that definitely wasn't the case. Obviously, there was the other schools that I had full respect for, and I, yeah, it was definitely a difficult decision. And but yeah, I'm here now, and I'm glad I'm here. So. And when you first entered UBC, uh, obviously in hindsight, it was a very exciting time. I mean, your first year was the year you guys won a national championship. So what was it like entering with Kerry McDonald as the coach? But you also had, there was other young guys, like you and Finn were obviously contributing. But then I think there was guys like Keith West, who was a little bit older. Uh, Byron was a little bit older. So there was a good mix. Like, did you feel like there was a jump as soon as you entered it? Did you feel like you're going to have to fight for every like point of playing time you got? Like, what were your first impressions of entering a team that was established like the UBC group? I don't want to say I was intimidated, but I definitely, uh, it was definitely a step up in level. Like, I didn't really know what to expect. Kind of, by the end of grade 12, I was kind of like a pretty established player. I'd say I'd, I'd say I was pretty skillful, but then entering like a good university team was a whole nother level. And yeah, that was definitely a step up. Um, and for me personally, I kind of grew up watching Ben Chow and Irvin. Those were two guys that I, I don't want to say idolized, but I definitely watched a lot. Um, in remember in grade eight, I would go to UBC games, watch Chow in grade eight, Irvin's in grade 12. So I'd watch him at like provincials at Harry Jerome and stuff like that. So those were huge guys that I looked up to and, um, getting to play one year with them was pretty sweet. Um, and obviously they're both great players and, and Keith and all those veteran guys, Byron, like all these guys are amazing players. So yeah, looking back, I'm really glad that I got to be in that environment with those many skilled and talented players because I think that kind of set me up to learn from them and yeah, just kind of adapt. And I think if I went to a role where I kind of started right away, I didn't really have to like fight too much, I probably wouldn't be the same player I'd be now. And did you ever talk to Brar or Ben? Like, hopefully you didn't make them feel old saying, hey, I used to watch you when I was young. But did you ever have those conversations or did you find opportunities to ask them questions or could they give you help in any like the drills or gameplay stuff you guys are doing? I don't think I ever like told them straight up, maybe afterwards, like after they graduated. Maybe I, I think I might have told them. I remember I told uh, Irv, though, I had this picture of him in a McDonald's when I was like in grade eight or nine that I like me and my friend, like a team at a time, we like, got a picture with him because we were so starstruck that I was Irvin Brar walking into a McDonald's in Vancouver. So we had to get a picture with him. So I showed him that picture. That but yeah, I don't think I ever really told them. And yeah, they were very, uh, I would say they definitely helped me with the, the process. Actually, something that kind of sticks to me to this day. I don't remember if it was Irv or Keith that told me, but they were kind of like, man, enjoy right now because it goes by so fast. And at a time, like you're an 18 year old, 17 year old rookie and like you're not really thinking that and now 22 year old fifth year like those words definitely resonate with me now no that's awesome and uh with with Kerry mcdonald being the coach he's presented a ton of conferences symposiums he's a big role in volleyball canada Uh, i'm curious what did it feel like as an athlete in your first year doing what he was doing because obviously he's very strong like the planning side uh doing the serving study like you guys missed a ton of serves but man you earned a lot off your serves too like was that a big jump going from club and just kind of seeing how planned it was and how the flow of practices went throughout the season and also that you guys weren't afraid to miss you know 12 serves a a set sometimes it felt like (laughs) yeah definitely the planning was one of the biggest um jumps for me like obviously carries a very analytical and uh very statistical guy and coming out of high school like yeah we kind of game plan for some teams but not like to the extent where I, i feel like most universities game plan quite well now but like how like meticulous it was was on a different level and yeah, it was definitely a big jump up. And, and for me, like on the serving side, in high school, I was a float server. And um, I didn't spin until Kara's like, man, you got to spin. I was like, oh, okay. I guess I, I, guess I could. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was definitely interesting. I'm not, I don't totally remember it because it was, it was a while ago. But like, I definitely remember the big thing was like guys having to hit their best serve um, and not being afraid to miss because 
like we're gonna we're gonna point score at a high rate. Is that something that stuck with you with your game now? Because obviously, like uh, borrowing a volumetrics account and watching a little bit on you, like you go forward from the service line to this very day. Uh, you're the, the the hook or the spin you can put on the ball that we've had, like Nick Hogan on the show talking about how important it is just to have the ball move on a different plane. Like it looks like you can guide the ball into seams, you can hit it at a good speed. Like was that year really eye opening to you? That something that that was going to be something like a skill set for you when you're playing for the national team or when you're an upperclassman at UBC? Yeah, I would say it took a while for me to realize that I have potential for an elite serve. I'd say I'm still working on consistency as is everyone. Um, but I, I think I have like the, the speed behind it that it can, but I'm still working on it. It, it definitely took a while for it to get to that point. And I would say, yeah, what Carrie kind of implemented about hitting your best serve. Um, and I think he, I think he realized that like serving is one of the important aspects of the game. It can really just win your games. And so that's something that's kind of stuck with me. And also like our coach, like Michael Hawkins, um, he talks about like the one point mentality and just going back and hitting your serve, your best serve each time. Um, not worrying if you like missed beforehand or, or if the guy behind you missed beforehand. Um, it's really about you hitting that, that best serve. But, um, again, like my first year was my first time spin serving um i think my hardest spin serve the first like month or two was like 80 kilometers an hour it wasn't very wasn't very fast after a while i got some got some decent uh mileage on it and then i guess in the beginning of second year it's kind of like half wanting to float half wanting to spin because my spin was just like it was like fine and it wasn't it wasn't really point scoring that high or anything and then i guess like halfway through the season i think in january so that's like almost directly halfway in the season. We went to Hawaii and we started playing with, because in, in America they play with the Moms instead of the Mikasas. And I was like, man, I kind of want to spin with this. So I tried, hit a couple like 116 aces. And then from there, I just started spinning for the rest of my career. <laughs> yeah. What's that like as an athlete? Because I think sometimes we overblow like the process and it'll take time. It'll take time. But you invested a year into it and you still weren't sure that you were going to do it. Like, do you feel like you needed that confirmation of like just ripping on the molten a couple times? Or did it honestly just take that long to that you could hit your best serve every time you went back? Like, was there one moment that stands out or just the process that you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm a spin server now? Because like I said, it's overblown in sport. It gets talked about too much. But that to me is a really good example of like the process of learning a new skill. So you could be like world class at it, right? Right. Yeah, I think uh, I don't there's one moment. I think it was um, the process, and it still is the process. Like I would say, I haven't perfected it. So I think uh, it's all about the process. Like I, even now, like I've dabbled with a bit of a hybrid serve. I've I'm still trying to evolve it. Like my my serve now does not look my serve two years ago. You know what I mean? Like from my third year is when I I think I was first in Canada with aces, and like my serve now looks different. So I think it's just like constantly adapting and figuring out like what works best for you. Um, but definitely like the process is process is long and I guess it, it changes with everyone, but it's, it's definitely worth it if um, that's the route you want to go down. And how have you found a way to kind of manage the expectations? Cause I, I think it's great that Carrie and coach Hawkins have talked about like hit your best serve every single time, but man, you, you must've had a, a club coach or a high school coach at some point. It's just like, we can't miss a serve after the other team calls a timeout. We can't miss a serve when it's like tie game. We can't miss a serve uh, on game point. Like there's so many situations that I think coaches like magnify. They're like, Oh, we're, we're missing too many serves guys versus here's two guys who are going to say, Hey, I don't care what the score is. I don't care if the guy in front of you missed. I don't care the situation hit your best serve right now. Like as an athlete, did that take uh, Eddie getting used to in those situations? Yeah, it's definitely um, a pretty interesting dichotomy because yeah, as an athlete and I've coached too. So like it's, it is pretty difficult when like the team is missing a lot of serves and you go back there and it's like, man, I should probably just put this in. It'll put, it'll put us in a better points for opportunity. But then again, it's like, going back to the process like it's not gonna win you a championship if you just put the ball in and a big big thing with that that i'm still learning is just kind of like trying to be present in the moment because if you're thinking about the past thinking about the future like it's going to take you away from what you're doing now and uh i think serving is probably one of the most like mental aspects of the game because it's like it's just you and the ball like you don't rely on any other player you don't rely on anyone else obviously it 
like the crowd might be loud, but it's really just you and your own thoughts. And like, you have the skill to execute it and it's, it's up to you. And I think, uh, you shouldn't worry about external factors. And yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely interesting because I, I know what you mean by not wanting to miss service, but then it's hard. <laughs> it's definitely difficult, but I think the, the best way to go about it is just trying to do best so for any of our younger listeners or any coaches listening, like when you go back, uh, obviously there's a lot of science on like the external focus and you're trying to be in flow and hit your best serve. Like when you're really in flow with your serve, are you cutting the cord in half? Are you hitting it as hard as you can and just hope it's in bounds? Are you picking like one seam? Like how accurate are you able to be at the speeds you're hitting this? Cause like you said, like you're, you're a 115 plus guy. So how sniper like can you be it? Or are you just going back and hitting as hard as you can? So when I'm really in flow state, I'll be totally guided. I don't think <laughs> I have, I, I don't think I have a single thought in my head other than I'm going to hit this ball. And oftentimes when I'm in that flow state, it will be an ace. Like I kind of just let my arm do the work. So I have like a pretty, let's say I have a pretty natural and fluid arm swing. So it's not that I'm not directing where it's going to go. I probably have a target beforehand, but it's not like a, can okay, I need to hit this spot? It's a, I toss the ball and I know I'm going to hit it where I want to hit it. That's awesome. And uh, just to kind of jump back to your career with UBC, I think your first year was a perfect example of where you guys technically finished third in Canada West, and then you go on and win a national championship. So I'm curious, you being a first year and then kind of progressing through, how do you feel as an athlete playing that Canada West schedule? Because I think it's so gnarly where just because you finished first at Canada West doesn't mean you're going to even medal at nationals, but it could be because it's a tough division. Or there's times where we just had uh, TK on the show. They've won Canada West at Trinity and taken a fifth at nationals. So it's just so funny how it works out and how the draw really matters. So what was it like for you being in that Canada West division? Man, you got to beat a good team Friday and you got to play them again on Saturday. Like, does that ever get overwhelming or just like fatiguing on the mind knowing you have to play good teams every single weekend and you have to play them twice in a row yeah i'd say it is pretty fatiguing but then again you kind of have to remember what you're doing it for and if you're not having fun like there's no point of doing it and the conference is so strong like there's not a single team that like you don't have to put effort into i think that's yeah like there's every single team is is going to be a challenge and it's really hard to get wins in, in the Canada West and like in Canada in general. But yeah, specifically like it's when you're playing them Friday, Saturday, like just because you get a three Oh win on a Friday night doesn't mean you're not going to get blown out the second night. You know what I mean? Like you have to constantly stay mentally engaged. And I would say preparation is one of the biggest keys to that is um learning how to adapt to like the night before so say if like you won three one the night before what did you do to win those three sets and what did you do to lose that one set and how can you learn from that moving forward to to improve the next night and yeah it's definitely a difficult thing but it, it becomes almost like second nature like i remember in my first year i definitely i didn't I knew the importance of like video and and preparation and everything, but now that I'm like in it, I uh, it's almost like second nature. Like I, as soon as the game ends, I'm like thinking, what needs to be done the next night. Do you ever feel uh, pressure or urgency to kind of change what you're doing? Because as you mentioned, like the the prep and video you guys have, but let's be honest, I think a lot of coaches in Canada West are doing that, right? So do you ever feel pressure that maybe on night one, you guys get it done and you're hitting a lot of like sharp angle on the second night, they're probably going to take that away. Like they're going to adjust. So do you you ever feel pressure to know that you have to do something different or do you kind of rely on like strength on strength? Like how do you like to think of the games where you're playing the same team twice in a row? Because I imagine what you do Friday night isn't always going to work on Saturday, right? Yeah. Um, I can't speak on other players, but for me specifically, I like to try to be adaptive. Um, like again, watching a lot of video, I can see like on night one K they took a lot of cross cause I like to hit cross and then on night and then I realized that like maybe there's an opening line. So then maybe night two, I try to be adaptive or, um, look at different like blocking matchups. So like if, the middle is bigger than the, the center or the right side, like maybe going after that height differential, like just looking at different uh, 
opportunities that the block defense gives to me is what I like to do. Um, I wouldn't necessarily try to go um, strength for strength. Like maybe that is something I do every once in a while, but like I like to try to be adaptive. And I think what I what I have improved on over the past couple of years is just like widening my toolbox of my shot selection. I think before I was pretty one-dimensional, whereas now I, I definitely switched up in my shot selection. And I think that's really important for an outside to have is not hitting the same shot over and over again because then you can just game plan against it. And like you said, like they'll probably make that adjustment on night two. And if you don't have another shot, then what are you going to do? And for this show, we're not a COVID show. Believe me, I don't know enough about it to put a, out on the internet and talk about it on a podcast. But uh COVID kind of caused some different training environments over this year. And I thought UBC did a really good job in speaking to Kruger and Hawkins and everybody there at UBC where you guys had a big group. You still had opportunities to kind of divide the group and do training things. I think you guys did some arm swing studies with the driveline baseball. Like it it seemed like the coaches were still engaged, even though you weren't going to get a chance to compete. Uh, I'm wondering from an athlete perspective, uh, how did you go into that year knowing that you weren't going to get the reward and the and the joy of playing in games, but you still guys, you found a way to get better. You found a way to be in the gym. There was still probably some social stuff to it. Like uh, obviously safety was going to be the priority, but how did it feel as an athlete knowing that you could still go to the gym and still get like a workout in or still feel like you're getting better? So first and foremost, I definitely felt blessed that we even got the opportunity to still train in some kind of capacity because I know like Ontario wasn't training. I think Alberta wasn't training. So definitely like, we were super lucky in that there wasn't a whole lot of times where we actually had to like take time off. Um, so I felt really lucky, lucky and blessed for that. Um, but definitely my mentality going into that year was just to see how good or as strong as I could get. So like I'm a, I'm a pretty, I'd say I'm really internally motivated. And so it didn't, obviously it's like, it was upsetting that the season got canceled and yeah, it really sucks. But for me, I kind of saw it as an opportunity to try to work on my deficits. So I went like super hard in the weight room and then tried to like refine different skills. And yeah, I, def- I saw it as an opportunity that maybe not everyone in Canada would get, even though like we didn't get to hit against blockers. We didn't get to do front row attack. It was more just like, We'd adapt by hitting against pool noodles or hitting back row kind of thing. And so I think we could kind of look at it two ways. It's like, oh, you can just kind of go through the motions because you're not getting a full um, traditional training environment. Or you can be like, you can kind of just roll the punches and get as good as you can get with what you're doing. And you mentioned you already had a, a pretty confident arm swing, pretty whippy already. But did you participate in, in like throwing the weighted balls and kind of doing the progression that some of the other outsides were doing? Um, no, so I didn't do that study, but I did use um, those weighted balls um, just because I already had like a pretty technical arm swing. I would, I would kind of do what they were doing, but I wasn't doing the study just because, yeah. But I would, so I'd work on with the, the weighted balls and then I would also use a bit of a core component. So I'd more focus on my core rather than like my actual arm swing. So instead of like using your shoulder and your arm to, to whip it, it was more like coming from my trunk and seeing if I could like get stronger in my um, like rotational force to be able to put more power on the ball. And just from your perspective or maybe talking to some of the other guys, like, do you feel like that's uh lessen the fatigue factor maybe the injury factor because i think a lot of Iowa players after a tournament or a, a weekend of competing like all oh, my shoulders sore but like you said you're trying to create it by rotation and using a lot of your core and trunk like have you have you felt or noticed from other guys that that's kind of limited the fatigue or the injury risk of, of the shoulder yeah i think so i definitely like i guess we haven't played all that much in the past year and a half but uh i haven't noticed as many guys talk about their shoulder um and guys arm swings are noticeably better and guys are hitting the ball quite a bit harder so yeah i'd say it's definitely beneficial and just to jump around a little bit i know this doesn't follow the same timeline uh when did you enter the volleyball canada program because sometimes it changes whether there was a tryout or whether you get recognized at uh national team challenge cup like when was your first experience with a uh, volleyball canada program my first experience was in grade 10 um i just come off ntcc i played i played another year with the u17 team like it was the western canada games team that year and in 
Alberta, like at the Saville Center, they did, um, I think it was like a Youth Canada Developmental Camp. So I got selected to that. And then, yeah, so that was my first time like in the national program is when I was at a camp. And then I also did the same thing the following year in um, at Queens when I played in GCC for the first time on my uh, own age group. And then first junior team was after my first year. Nice. And what was that experience like going from Team BC to Volleyball Canada? Like, as you look back after being like a part of our next gen program, do the same names keep popping up? Like, have you played with a few guys through Volleyball Canada for a couple of years now? Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. There's like three, four guys that were also at the first camp with me that I, I guess I still play on, especially. The second year is more so the first year because I was playing up. There'd probably be less guys. Um, but the second year when I was kind of more of my own age group, there was quite a few guys who I played junior team and the next gen team with. And how do you like to approach those situations? Because I think it's so funny with our national team that uh, it, it's no coincidence that a lot of the best players come from the best team. So you've literally been across the net and battled with some of the U of A guys or McMaster guys or, or just a whole bunch of Canada West guys or, or Quebec guys. Like, What's it like when you kind of go to a tryout and you see them and you're not enemies anymore? Like, is that easy for you to flip the switch or, or you always kind of like know who the rivals are and know who the tough games come from? Uh, yeah, so I find I'm really competitive when it's game time, but when it's off the court, it's all love. Like, I don't have any resentment unless they like disrespect me in some kind of way. I don't have any resentment to any, any players. So when I go to a camp, when I go to a tryout, when I'm on a team with um, someone who's our rival, I guess. It's like, I don't have any malice towards them because they're just another player. You know what I mean? It's, there's no, they're not your mortal enemy. They're just another dude playing the same sport. And so I'm really happy that I have that mentality because I think a lot of my good friends have come out of teams who, yeah, maybe if I didn't have that open mentality that I wouldn't be friends with. And with the, the next gen team, Kind of give me the behind the scenes. Like, is there any urgency for certain guys to be leaders on that team? Because what I mean by that is it's not unusual for a bunch of young guys to be on the team. But it's also not unusual for a guy like Byron to be on the team who's played pro. So how, how does that work out where you have guys who are like peers and then you've also got guys who have been like overseas and have played pro or they've been a part of the Volleyball Canada program for a while? Like, how do you feel like the players kind of fit in and, and shuffle? Like, is there a leadership sense or because you're all at the same level, it kind of sorts itself out by the end of the season? Um, well, definitely going in the first couple of weeks, there's definitely a pretty apparent gap between those who have been on, on the senior B team or played pro than the guys that haven't. And not necessarily saying from like a skill point, even though, like, yeah, there is, but I'd say more from like an experience standpoint. Um, because like professional is different than club or, or university, right? So, yeah, there was definitely, I think it was, it wasn't like a, a focal point on the leadership, but I think just through that experience, guys like Byron, guys like, uh, Brian Coppers definitely just kind of fit into more of like a mentor and leadership role until we kind of all got a little bit more accustomed to our surrounding. And then I think different guys started to kind of pick that up or it just, it started to feel more like a team rather than, um, cause again, like the core was pretty young, like all the left sides. Sides branded were like my age, so um, yeah, definitely a bit of a bit of a gap then. But then, kind of, yeah, things started to kind of accumulate, and we started to figure things out more. And yeah, I think it was just a good situation in general. And one of the cool things about Gatineau is is not only did you have vets on your team, but you probably also got exposure to some of the senior A guys. Like, was there anything that you either observed or talked to a few guys that you're able to add to your game? Because at certain points, I know guys are in and out and competitions keep changing, but uh, did you get any time with some of the senior guys and get to pick their brains a little bit? So I didn't get to a ton this summer. I did a bit with the junior team, but this summer was a little bit... Um unique because when COVID we can train in the same facility as them or not facility, but it's train at the same time as them. Whereas previous years, um, there'd be times where like we split the gym in half where like the junior team would be on one side and then like an hour later, like the senior A team would come in. Um, whereas 
this year was different. There was not a time where we would finish practice and the A team would walk in um, because, yeah, COVID. And then they're also training for um, the Olympics. So I think they're actually in, they're in Turkey for like a lot of, not even Turkey, they're somewhere else for like quite a bit of the summer leading up to the Olympics. So I didn't have that much interaction with them this summer. But yeah, I know some of those guys are quite open and quite receptive to picking their brains just from previous uh, interactions. Uh, and I know we're in a bit of a pause right now, but what was it like uh, going back this year and knowing you're going to get a chance to compete? Obviously, Canada West tweaked a little bit where I think your league schedule is only against uh, other provincial opponents. Like I don't think you guys would play uh, another uh, non-BC school on your regular season, but is there just a different energy or different mood in the gym when you guys know you get a chance to compete? Yeah, well, from last year, definitely. Like last year was very uh, process oriented and very like, um, how are we going to gain the most from practice? And it is still practice oriented this year, but now it's very like, okay, on the weekends, we, we're going out to kill the other team. Like it's not like a, we don't have the weekend off now. It's, it's very much so it's our time to compete, our time to, to win. Um, so I can definitely tell from guys, um, or maybe less motivated last year, we were definitely more motivated this year. And obviously I hope there is a national championship and everything progresses that way, but is there still a, a sense of um, the process and things you can get better? Just because, like I said, like uh, COVID's affected things in certain ways where we didn't get to play the volleyball showcase this year. Uh, you guys are in a pause right now. Like, is there still just a sense that that's something that you can stay focused in? Or like, how do you like to kind of combine your competitive spirit with also your internal motivation to get better. Like you said, I'm again, internally motivated. And so I like to perform on the weekend, but with, during the week, like that's my time to fix or improve on what I need to improve on. And even like in games, like I'm not going to try to nitpick what I'm, what I'm doing games, but after games, I'm like, Hey, what did I do here um, that I can improve on? So it's, it's still very much, process orientated um until it comes to the actual gameplay then it's um like outcome um and and even in training we i think hawk and crew do a, a good job of kind of differentiating we have a thing called uh, think blocks where it's like so say if we have like a static drill it's like you're thinking and you're what do you need to improve on whereas play box is like okay it's game time We've done the work that we need to do. Now it's time to compete with each other to kind of showcase what we just worked on. And I think that's a, a good way to differentiate because if you're fully in think box all the time, then you're not going to learn how to, I guess, compete. Whereas if you're always in play box, then you're not going to be able to um, work on the skills that you need to improve. That's a great way to think about it. I'm curious, did you have something like that before the coaches made you aware of it? Because it, it can be hard to be in a drill that's competitive and you might be thinking, oh, I just want to get better. So I'm going to do this skill where that might cost you the drill win, right? Or there's other guys who are, they want to win at all costs and maybe they're not working on the things that are going to make them a better player. Like, but before you thought of this, uh, just kind of splitting it up and it was like a think box, were you able to do that in training or were you the guy always trying to win the drill? I think for me, I was able to differentiate a little bit more because it's like, if we're doing three ball passing like a free ball passing drill, I'm going to be, I was like competitive in that, like I'm going to be the best at the free ball passing, but then I'm also going to think what are the cues that I need to be working on. So it's like, there's a bit of like a duality of both the, I'm going to compete and beat the guy next to me, but also how can I benefit from this? Um, and I still think that's a bit of my mentality now, even with like the separation, because obviously if we're doing, like a high ball setting drill and it's like you're competing with the guy next to you to put the balls in the in the hoop um you're going to be working on the technical skill and you're going to be like in think box in that way but then at the same time it's like hey, i want to want to beat the guy next to me you know what i mean so it's it's a it's a bit of both so even when you guys are doing a, a fundamental skill like out of system setting you're, you're saying you have a setting target on the court and you guys are like counting makes and, and it's being charted somehow yeah, it, it kind of depends on the, the drill, but a lot of time, even in static drills, we'll have like a target that we want to get to, or like we're, we're competing with like the other side. So like free ball drill, it's like, 
a two-sided free ball drone, who can get to this many perfect free balls or who can make this many high ball sets. So it's like, and, and that's very like skills or very uh, drill specific. So not every drill is made that way. Um, but I'm also like, when I'm in ThinkBox, I'm also like competitive with myself too. It's not, I'm not relying on the other players to beat. A lot of time it's like, if I made a bad pass, what am I going to do to make this next one better? Or if I, if we did the same drill yesterday, how am I going to do better today? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm curious, you've brought up the mental side of the game a few times. When did that become an emphasis in your game? Because we've, we've talked about your arm swing, like you're a pretty good size outside, you're a good jumper. Like obviously you could rely on the physical and athletic side of our sport, but you've made the mental side one of your focuses. Uh, when did you start to invest in that? And like, what are some best practices that you found like help you keep focused, whether it's a journal, a routine, or, or what are some things that you value in your own mental game? Yeah, so I've known that the mental aspect of the game has been super important. Like from, from the beginning, I think my mom told me it was like uh, in volleyball, something like 10% skill, like 90% mental. And obviously it's not that drastic, but the same kind of message is, is the same. Um, I didn't put like a massive emphasis on that. Like it was always in the back of my mind with like the junior team and Team UC. They talked about like um, journaling and the importance of just like mental performance in general. But I, for myself, I think mental performance is something that you need to work on yourself because obviously external in, external influences can tell you that this is important, but it's only until you like actually figure that out yourself that you actually start wanting to do it and when you start making the progress. And for me, let's say my third year is when I actually started to like train it and actually journal and be more mindful and, and figure out ways that I could improve my on-court performance or even just like life in general through um, mental durability. Yeah, that, that's awesome. So you, you mentioned when you're in flow and serving, you're not really thinking about anything and you're just kind of moving in. I, I'm curious at other stages of the game, are you also like in no thought and just kind of reactive or when you're in service, Steve, is there a different approach? Like how have you applied some of this mental stuff you're building into the actionable stuff on court? Yeah, so um, with other skills, um, especially servicing, like I think you obviously need to be communicating with your other players. You need to be calling out like what the server's doing, what your what the block defense is doing, and whatnot. Um, but on the mental side, for me specifically, the biggest thing that I'm trying to work on and that I've like really gone about thinking about specifically this year is just like being present and playing like that one point at a time um because i think before i'd always try to be like okay how can i be if i made an error like okay try to try to forget about it let's be mentally tough whatever Whereas now it's like if i'm truly in the present moment enjoying like right now today then i'm not worried about other things that are happening i'm not worried about past points i'm actually like i'm gonna pass this next serve you know what i mean i'm just worried about that next next action next thing next job that i have to do and where does this fit in with the kind of the ubc model like we've had coach hawkins on the show and he talked about uh both him and i are, are big like steve kerr fans and we like to have joy and we like to make sure like things are enjoyable so for you who wants to be in the present like where does that balance come in where it's okay maybe to have fun during a game like it's okay to cheer it's okay to get fired up like how do you keep like staying in the moment but also looking for those moments to kind of have a little bit of emotion based on what just happened uh in that situation right like is there time for you to celebrate and kind of look at back at your accomplishments or are you always kind of moving on to the next thing next thing um yeah this is something i've for sure i've tried to find the balance in but i think um there is time for reflection right after a point there is time to celebrate because i think celebrations are super important and you can't just be stone cold the entire game um but i think um one thing that hawk ian perry and a couple of other coaches have kind of touched on before is like once something happens so what's your release to get you back into that moment um whether it's like physical or mental like how do you you reflect on that moment or you um like something happens and then how do you just like release what just happened and then get back to the moment so like um, a big thing for us 
it's just kind of like getting to the huddle. We like lock eyes with each other and then guys will probably do like their own individual release. So that gives us time to celebrate. It gives us time to like give feedback. So like if you got blocked, oh, the blocker dove in cross or something like that. So I think feedback is super important, but then also being able to release and then being set in the present moment after that. And if it's not too personal, like what's your release or what do you anchor to in those moments to get back to your focus? Um, for me, I really like staring daggers at guys. Like I just like looking guys straight in the eyes. Um, but also, um, if, if there's no one around, like I, I really try to go back to my breath and, um, inhale, exhale deeply. And that kind of goes back to some like mindfulness and meditation and also just like still realizing to try to be like anchored in that present moment. Um, so for me, it's not like a massive action or anything. It's more just like a, like a deep breath. When you say mindfulness, is that something you practice off the court, even if it's just like a few minutes every day? Like how, how have you found ways to be committed to this, like outside of the gym? Yeah. Um, I would definitely say I, I'm not super consistent with it, but I do meditate and practice mindfulness pretty often. Um, I think journaling is also really great for your mentality and like, um, cause you get to reflect and kind of like, think about what you might otherwise not. So like if you're sitting there journaling, oftentimes you kind of just go through the day and, and not really think about how you're feeling. You don't really check on with yourself. Whereas if you journal, it's like, um, how am I feeling right now? So you get to really just like be present with yourself and your thoughts and emotions. And I think that's pretty important to do off the court. And there's lots of ways to do it, but what format have you found best uh, for journaling? Like there, there's guys who do like a start, stop, keep, and they keep it pretty short and like one or two points each uh, line. There's guys who will write in full paragraphs and talk about different situations. Like what's the best way for you that you get what you need out of it, but you're also consistent enough that you can do it every day or every other day? Yeah. So I it definitely took me a while to be consistent with journaling. I I kind of understood the benefits of it when I was younger, whereas like this year and maybe last year, I've really figured out how to get on top of it. For me, I strayed away with it because I didn't like like the long format and not actually having to sitting down. Whereas now it's like, if I keep it short and brief and I have like um, different, like a, like a format that I fill out each day, that's like a pretty similar format and I'll most likely do it. So for me, um i've uh kyle our uh mental performance coach on the national team kind of challenged me to like make up my own format and journal that i would actually do and i actually found this really good journal that kind of essentially had everything that i wanted to do in it so for me i have um like three things that i want to work on that day and if it's not volleyball then i'll put like three things that i'm grateful for um and then i have one section as like a to-do list and then i have another section for my thoughts pre-practice or pre-game and then post-practice and pre-game or post-practice and post-game nice and, and that is that something you do every single day or you try your best to do it every single day well yeah almost every every day um and every once in a while the format changes like if i have like a different type of day but for the most part i try to keep it like that format because i know that that works for me i think Guys who don't journal or don't like journaling, it's probably because they just haven't figured out a way that resonates with them. Whereas this way, it's taken like four years for me to figure it out, but I think I finally figured it out. If you had to ballpark it for me, how how long are we talking? You're in and out in ten minutes, or what's a daily entry for you? Um, depends. Yeah, depends on the type of the day. If it's practice game, why not? Um, but I would say on average, probably like less than less than five minutes. It's really short. I'm curious if you had to look back or maybe just off the top of your head, have there ever been situations where you caught yourself either being too activated or just underwhelmed going into a game and that was able to catch it and kind of fix it before the game happened? Because I think there's certain times in a game where somebody just doesn't have a good first set or they didn't have a good warm up, and that kind of influences the rest of the game where I'm curious, did this journal activity ever help you kind of catch it before it happened and you were able to identify, man, I'm not that fired up right now. I got to do something different to get going here. Yeah, for sure. Um, obviously, since I've only gotten good at this in the past year or two, like we haven't had that many games to do it. But I remember like before, you kind of just like go to a game, go through the motions. And then if I was like 
at like that optimal arousal point or not. It was kind of just dependent. Whereas now it's like, when I'm going to a game and I'm taking that time to reflect and check in with myself, I'm able to see like, okay, how am I feeling? Am I anxious? Am I worried? Am I like overhyped right now? And it kind of just, I think checking in with yourself is just so like imperative to performance um, because it allows you to be at that optimal level. Because if you're, so like the, the inverted view of like, optimal performance where it's like if you're overly aroused then you're or like overly anxious then you're not going to play well if you're under anxious then you're not going to be stimulated enough to be at your optimal um so it kind of allows yourself to put you on that inverted view to see where you are and where you want to be and then you can kind of reflect on like okay now i've identified that i'm just too relaxed going to this game so what am i gonna what am i gonna do you know what i mean yeah, that's awesome. We've had uh, Dal Sunius on the show, and he's coaching college right now. And him and I joked around a little bit that uh, sometimes in men's volleyball, guys are like at their peak arousal and like hitting warm up, and it's no surprise that by the end of the game they just don't have any energy stores left. So uh, I'm yeah. curious if you had to like explain to somebody where you are on the spectrum. You, you mentioned like your intense eye contact, you're a competitive guy. Like, do you like to be pretty stimulated in games, or do you like to find those moments to be calm? Like, where are you on that slope of of where you think you play your best? In all honesty, I think I'm a little bit more um, on the left. So that kind of means like, um, I guess like under aroused. I like to be a little bit more relaxed. But that doesn't mean like I'm not celebrating. That doesn't mean I'm like not super hyped. It's like when I'm actually playing and like doing my job, then I'm like pretty calm, confident, relaxed. And then the point's over that I'm like celebrating with the guys. Because I've had, I definitely had games where I'm like super pumped up, and then I get on the court and I'm like my legs are like shaking, and then I can't even perform properly. <laughs> I think that's, and then also the opposite where I'm just like way too relaxed, and then yeah, I think it's it's really important to figure out what's optimal for you because it's it's different for every player. Yeah, that's a good point. And obviously, when it's done well, it, it's individually focused. But I'm curious because you're so aware of this. Have you found opportunities to help a teammate out who's either understimulated or overstimulated? Like, are you that aware of it that you can help out a teammate on the court when you know that they're just, they're not at their optimal state? I would say that's a skill that I'm figuring out. Um, I think I've always been pretty good at, because myself, I'm like, I'm like a pretty grounded guy. So I'm, I've always been pretty good at keeping others grounded too. And if I like, notice someone's off like I, I try to bring them back to i don't know their their um optimal spot so like <laughs> one example recently like mikey dehanyak he uh <laughs> he told me that he really enjoys uh like dad jokes and so like sometimes i'll just like like after like a tough play or something sometimes i'll just like pop him a, a dad joke like a really corny joke and then it just like allows us to reset allows him to reset and it's i think i've i'm trying to learn that more with other players like an, another example that i kind of started to think about from like his perspective so jonathan lee one of our liberos he first did something sort of like that when he like wrote a funny word on his finger to show to one of our other players when he was like in a rut so it would make him laugh so I think it's really important to kind of like be close with your other players and understand kind of like what makes them tick and where their kind of optimal level is so that you can not only be at your best, but then also translate to other players. Yeah, as you're explaining this, I'm kind of looking at it from a coach's lens where I think it's super important for the coach to be aware of it because as you mentioned, like your own style, it might look at times where you're not that engaged or you're not that fired up because you like to be on the left side of the scale or we've had guys from Trinity like Pierce mentioned he played his best when he was like a little bit silly and it was okay to like laugh and make jokes where maybe an old school coach would look at that and be like why are you laughing right now we're like in a Canada West final right so uh, have you had these conversations either uh, with your coaches so just so they have an understanding of where each guy needs to be or, or how do you guys reach that level of understanding so they're just not optically looking and making a judgment based on you know the, the perception of your behavior versus knowing that's when you perform best um, I wouldn't say, uh, speaking, speaking for myself, like I can't speak for other guys, but I wouldn't say we've had like specific conversations. Um, I know like Ian Perry, like our team's mental performance coach has talked about that inverted view and 
told us like it's individual. So I think it's more just like a common understanding that different guys play in different ways. It's not specifically be like, okay, if I start laughing, it's not because I'm not engaged. It's just because I'm having a good time. You know what I mean? Like, I think it comes from experience with each other and the coaches to kind of get that mutual understanding. I don't think it needs to be a super set in stone um, thing. It's more just like a understanding each other based off experience, in my opinion. Nice, man. I'm sure we could go down the rabbit hole even further on this. I'm just looking at the clock and I, <laughs> I, I could pick your brain on this a little bit longer, but I am aware I did promise you an hour. So I think we'll I call honestly, I'm good for whatever, but <laughs> well, yeah, if you got more time, sure. Let's go for it. I'm curious. This, this all sounds awesome. And I think people are going to go out and try it, but I'm curious, how have you failed at this and recovered? Cause I think it, it's not going to work right away. So there's probably stuff that you wanted to happen on court, but maybe you found yourself getting frustrated or it just wasn't going to plan. Like are, are those opportunities for learning for you? Are those chances to have like a mini meltdown? Like how do you deal with it where it's like, man, my, my mental performance coach, we talked about this plan, but I've just got shit slammed three times in a row and I'm not feeling that great. Like how do you find those opportunities where it is overwhelming to kind of find your balance in those really tough situations? Yeah, obviously it's, a lot easier to talk about things rather than like when you're actually in that moment, like you made two, three hours in a row, like how do you actually put that into practice? And I think that's the translation piece is definitely one of the most difficult aspects. Cause yeah, you can, you can talk about this stuff forever, but um, for me early in my career, like very early in my career, I was definitely prone to getting uh defeated pretty easily and like if i make like i've blocked a couple times like i'm just like especially when i first like started playing last time it's like do you really want to hit anymore you know what i mean um whereas now i again another spot of like my own mental performance when i'm getting into like those ruts is um trying to just like give to other teammates so like if i'm if i made a couple errors in a row um obviously the normal i, I wouldn't say normal but like typical reaction is to be like kind of hang your head and, and be upset with yourself and be disappointed with your performance. But for me to kind of bounce back from those failures, it's more like trying to give to your teammates as much as you can. So like if I make an error, then I want to go talk to my teammates and be like, okay, I'm going to do this and this next, this is my next job. I'll do it. Or I'll just start celebrating other guys' points and I'll just start talking more. Cause I think once you talk and communicate more, it kind of just, even if you're not playing statistically well, like you can still give to the team in other ways. Like if you're not having a very efficient night, then you best believe I'm going to be having a great passing night. You better believe that I'm going to be a great teammate. I'm going to give a lot of energy if I'm not doing a certain aspect well at that specific moment. Yeah. So I think it's almost like being able to, translate or or kind of blow off some of that negative emotion into beneficial emotion yeah once again i think way easier said than done but if you can actually execute that that that's a good point where yeah i just made three errors but i'm going to funnel the block so we can get a dig or i'm going to pass really well or if coach subs me out i'm still going to support the next guy and he's going to get it done like you're still going to be a good teammate where I think it's easy once you're making those errors to kind of go internal and think about, oh, poor me. But if you can flip it the other way, then that's really powerful. That, that's a good point. Uh, I am curious, how do you deal with the external stuff? And the reason I bring that up is we've been really lucky to have some great guests on the show. And we had Marquise and he talked about, you know, you go to the Olympics and people try to treat it like, oh, it's just another tournament. You're playing teams you've already played against. It's like, no, that's all nonsense. It's the Olympics. It's a big scale yeah. and you can't run away from it. Right. So. Uh, I'm curious with your own progress and how you like to journal and think things. Have you ever caught yourself getting stimulated by what's at stake? Because you've played in some big games, like you're you're on the junior national team, and if you do well in Arsika, we get to go to world championships. So the stakes are big there, or it's a playoff game in Canada West, or it's a game at nationals. Like, do you let yourself get excited when those big moments are, or do you try to like go away from it? Like, if you were to play in an Olympic quarterfinal, do you not think you'd be a little bit more fired up than maybe a, a league game or an exhibition game? Like, how would you separate the two? but still be consistent in your own performance? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think I'd want to say that I treat every game the same, but I, I don't think that's true at all. I think, uh, man, if I was to be in the Olympics right now, like I would be so like excited. And that's my dream, right? So I don't think I would say that I would try to just like 
stay like emotionless, I guess, because you gotta allow yourself to feel those ups and downs of, of the sport. Cause that's, I think that's one of the things that makes the sport good is like getting excited for things. And I don't know if you get excited and then maybe get disappointed. Like that's all part of the roller coaster that you're on. Right. And like, if you don't, if you just have to be stone cold the entire time, like you're probably going to get burned out pretty quickly. Um, and I think, yeah, allowing yourself to celebrate the successes is something that I've tried to get better at because yeah, in the past I've kind of walked that line of almost being emotionless. Um, but I think it's, it's really important to allow yourself to feel that excitement. And I think back to your original question about like playing in those big games, I think it all just goes back to trying to stay in the present moment. Um, something that I've kind of figured out this year, this is kind of going off a little bit into uh, a, a tangent, but something that I've kind of learned this year is uh, I've done a lot of, I guess, like research and reading and a little more like philosophy. And there's a couple of things that I've figured out. So, um, Frederick Nietzsche, like a, like a German philosopher, he talked about this, um, theoretical of like the eternal recurrence. And so the theory is, it's like, or not theory, it's like a hypothetical. So like, if you were to, if someone was to tell you that you had to live your life for infinity, then that's probably like a, a pretty awful thing. Like you probably, most most reactions would be like, okay, I wouldn't want to live this life for infinity because that, that would be pretty tough to have to relive every single moment. But he talks about like this uh, um, this concept of amor fati, which means like um, love of one's fate. And he said, if you love every aspect and like stay in the present moment, then you wouldn't mind that eternal recurrence. You wouldn't mind living your life over and over again. So I think that helps me stay rooted in being like, how am I going to be present and love the situation? How am I going to make the best of the situation that I'm in right now and not get overly stimulated by, yeah, this great thing that's happening, but also being able to stay rooted in that present to not allow me to go down rabbit holes and let my thoughts get the best of me. Yeah, that's so cool. I'm curious, how do you kind of filter the stuff that you're going to really grab to and really interest you? Because there's so much there's some pretty heavy science out there and there's some pretty stuff that's like tough for me to read. So how do you find the right book or the right video or the right audio like to kind of dive into so you can learn more about this? Cause like I said, uh, it can be a little overwhelming to know what to look for. And some of it's just way too sciencey for me to kind of grasp to where it sounds like the stuff you're into is pretty cool and pretty engaging that you get something out of it pretty quickly. So how do you kind of sort through the stuff you want to look into to learn more about this? Yeah, this is, it's something that I'm still figuring out for myself. Um, obviously, yeah, there's a lot of information, there's a lot of books out there and, and knowing what to look for is pretty daunting. But if like something grabs your interest, why not read it? Um, for me, this is kind of like a weird way that I got introduced to like stoicism and like all like the concepts that I was talking about, like the more facts and like momentum and all that stuff is like, so I'm a big Mac Miller fan. Um, and in one of his videos, he uh, writes Memento Mori on like a like a casket, and then I was like, "Oh, what does that mean?" And then I read up on it, and then that's kind of what sparked my interest. And then I don't know, I just started reading, googling things, and then reading more books. And then I figured out that like these certain aspects, like it just gives me some interest, that I'll probably read it if I think there's any kind of benefit that I'll probably read it. Man, it's that's... just all about like for me, it's all about like leveling up and figuring out like. It kind of goes back to last year and, and get like, how can I get the best that, best that I can out of what I'm given? And it's like, okay, how can, how good can I get? And I think, I think it was Kobe who talks about like, how good can I get at this sport so that I'll have no regrets after I'm done? And yeah, that's something that I, I want to make sure that I have no regrets once I'm retired from the sports. So hopefully, hopefully I have a really long career, but I just want to have no regrets. and. How can I enjoy each moment? So when I look back, it's like, man, that was the best. <laughs> this is so cool, man. So uh, obviously you're an easy guy to root for. You're in your fourth year of eligibility right now, right? So uh, hopefully all this gets sorted out soon. But at what point do you start looking to get an agent and go pro? Like obviously continue with the, the Team Canada stuff. But what's next for you? Because you probably are gaining eligibility through this COVID stuff, right? So 
what's kind of like your short-term, long-term plan in our sport? Obviously, I want to continue with the national team. If I'm blessed enough to be on the team again this summer, I'm going to go fully for it. Um, and then at this current moment, um, the, the plan right now is to play professionally next year. Nice, man. Nice. Well, like I said, you, you've shared so much. Definitely an easy guy to root for. Uh, one thing we've made a tradition on the show is just to share a funny or unique story where our listeners have heard that you've played at the highest level of our sport. But, man, some funny or unique stuff seems to happen in volleyball because we have so many awesome people in the community. Uh, I was hoping you could share one more story before we let you go. Sure. Um, uh, this is it's kind, of, kind of difficult to think of. Um, I have two really short stories that are I just think are kind of funny. They're not like crazy or anything but uh i remember i think it was my first time first summer with the junior team um we were in the bronze medal match in cuba um and I, it was just so hot and humid like i think it was like something like 40 degrees and like extremely humid to the point where like the sport court was like saturated with like <laughs> fluid like it was so gross and i remember like Brody Hofer had to come off. He had to like sit down, like wring out his socks because it was just so hot. And like, I'm already a really sweaty guy. So when I was on the court, I was just like already just profusely sweaty. And like, it got to the point where like none of us could play and the game had to continually be stopped. And it was like a bronze medal game against USA. And, um, I remember like trying to be on service even like you just couldn't move to service because it was just your feet just had no traction whatsoever because of how like wet the floor was and like even going to attack i just like couldn't do an approach i'd basically have to like walk up and do a squat jump to be able to hit a ball because you just couldn't be able to like do a regular approach and in that same in that same time so we ended up winning that game and this is kind of like a side the point but even it was such a weird experience like even at the airport i remember i got like my um my stick roller taken away because they're like oh this is a baton and i was like no it's a like muscle roller and then they took away like my Gatorade powder because they're like, this is drugs. I'm like, no, it's not drugs. <laughs> it's, it's Gatorade. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was a pretty fun experience. And then the other, um, just very vivid memory was, uh, actually when team Canada was at the qualifiers against Cuba, my UBC team was, I think it was, we we're in Edmonton and it was like after our game that it was like, last couple of sets and we stayed in Edmonton until like they were like shutting off the lights like the janitor was like trying to kick us out one of my players had like severe food poisoning on the side so he's just like dead in the corner and then all of us were just swimming around like Hawk's tiny little computer just like rooting for Team Canada until they literally kicked us out we were like no we're staying until until they win and they, they won and then we had to like sprint out and then <laughs> next day I got food poisoning too so that was just that was a weird experience but also like so fun to just all be huddled around cheering for Team Canada and then they qualified so that was that was pretty awesome yeah man this is sweet thanks so much for you know answering a random message to come on the show and sharing all that you did i i definitely learned a lot big fan of your game now i got to connect with you and hear some great stories so thanks for sharing all that you did and, and best of luck with everything else you got going on yeah thanks so much for having me really appreciate it